0: Well, hi there, and welcome to the YM Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Shaw. The vision of this show is to educate and engage apostolic leaders just like you as you educate, engage, connect with, disciple the next generation of apostolic students and young adults. One of the ways that you can support this show is by leaving us a star rating and a review in your favorite podcast app. What that star rating does is just kind of bumps us up along in terms of visibility because there may be student pastors youth workers out there that don't know anything about this show but by you leaving us a star rating it gives us some extra visibility however those you know magical mysterious algorithms work another reason why you should leave us a review is by leaving us a review you help us know what kind of content serves you best and so thank you in advance for doing that it'll mean the world to us it'll help others get more connected with this show well today I wanted to share with you a leadership thought that I got from my son and uh, this this idea had been sitting on my idea board in my office I have this little magnetic um idea board and I'm for those of you that that know me you you already know this and those of you that don't know me very well well now you get a little you know trivia about about me as the host i like pen and paper i have horrible penmanship i am not at all one of those artistic people with beautiful signatures and great handwriting um, i my, my my hand. I was going to try to make an analogy, but none of them seem to, to work at, at the moment. I, if you've ever seen a toddler with a crayon, that's me with a fountain pen. Uh, but I still enjoy the process. And so whenever I would get ideas, I have these menu cards made of a really cool paper, and I'll grab a fountain pen and write it down. And I was looking through my idea board the other day Thinking, you know, what kind of content could we create for this show that would be meaningful to you? What experiences have I come across? What what conversations have I had with some leaders that sent my mind and my heart down the rabbit trail of discovery? And here's what I saw on my idea board. And I was like, you know what? This is a, this is a good conversation to have. And it didn't come from dialogue I had with a mover and a shaker of the world, either in church or business. It wasn't even a conversation with a peer. It was a conversation with my son. I believe he's, he's 10 now. I, if my memory serves me correctly, this, this menu card has been sitting on my idea board for at least a year. So he would have been between eight and nine years old. And I don't remember exactly what the conversation was all about. I don't remember the subject. I remember that he was frustrated. He was frustrated with something. He was frustrating with me. And he was trying to explain something. And I was trying to be dad. I was trying to tell him what to do, how to do it and he was increasingly becoming more agitated. And suddenly, my boy exclaimed, Dad, you're not looking where the problem is. Look where the problem is. And I forget, Again, I wish I could remember all the details, but that phrase jumped out at me, and I looked where the problem was, and I was able to help him out. But I, I went back down to my desk, and I wrote down that little statement, Because it just kind of jumped out at me that his frustration with me as his father, as the de facto greatest male influencer in his life, was that I was not looking where his, or looking at where he perceived the problem was located. I, I wasn't paying attention to his needs. He felt that I was trying to rush through to a solution as opposed to helping him examine the problem and truly attune to his need. And the reason why it it jumped out at me is because I thought, man, my son is teaching me a lesson here at this this very moment. And this is a lesson that doesn't just apply to dealing with eight and nine-year-old boys in the Shaw house. It's something that I can extrapolate into all of leadership and influence spaces. And it's this, people are so desperate to be heard. People, when they are facing problems and they are perplexed, they are looking for somebody to stop, not rush to the easiest and quickest piece of advice that they can muster, but they're looking for you to stop and listen and be attuned, and and to, now I, I was listening, if I remember correctly, I mean, I probably could have been listening a little bit better, but I probably was paying attention to what he what he was saying, but I was not communicating any attentiveness to him, and that's what he was so desperately looking from me in that moment. He was looking for me to communicate to say, you want to know what, son? You want to know what, Judah? I understand you're frustrated, and my eyes are drawn to the problem that you've brought before me. I'm not trying to rush you through so I can get on to more important work. I'm not trying to rush this conversation so that I can move on to something else. Right now in this moment, you have my undivided attention And I'm looking where the problem is. One of the greatest things that you can do as a student pastor to increase your influence everywhere in your local church is to be attentive and attuned to the needs of people that are around you. Let's think about all of the stakeholder relationships that a youth worker has to manage. Number one, you have your relationship with your students. Number two, you have your relationship with their parents. Number three, you have your relationship with the senior pastor of the local church. And if you are in a larger environment even if you're in a smaller one, but you're trying to leverage all of the resources around you, you you have another relationship, and that is your relationship with your team. And your team may be your spouse. Your team may be other couples or other singles that are around you. And every one of those individuals, every one of those stakeholder relationships are looking at you to be attentive to the problems that are cropping up in their space. And it is so important that you know my dad had this really powerful statement. I I remember I remember I believe we were at a funeral. We were at a funeral and there was a lot of heartbreak, there was a lot of sorrow. We had spent a lot of time in the hospital with somebody sitting with family, holding hands praying with them, bringing them food, taking care of their needs. And I remember we were either in an office or we were in an elevator, and and my dad said to me, he said, Adam, this is when you really become someone's pastor. It's not when you're behind the stage it's not when you've got a microphone in your hand, it's not when you're behind a pulpit or, you know, under the bright shiny lights. It's when you're with them where the problem is, looking at the problem with them. One of the greatest ways that you can raise your level of influence in the life of those that you lead, all of those stakeholder relationships is by being attentive to their needs and walking with them through their problems, through their valleys, through the things that life can just come their way. If you want to increase your seat at the table with the senior leadership team of your church or with the senior leaders at your church, be attentive and attuned to the problems and the stresses of your senior pastor. Pay attention to the problems and the burdens that he is facing and then find a way, seek for a way to serve him and provide solutions to his or her problems and needs parents oftentimes when you experience frustration one of the one of the most dangerous re- reactions that i can see in student leaders towards parents is is defensiveness it's one of the worst postures that a leader can have to become defensive towards those that they are leading but sometimes it can happen. I mean, I, I became, as I've mentioned a few times on on the show, I became a youth worker at around 19 years of age. And uh, I was pretty young, and my skin was very thin. And I made some mistakes early on because I would become defensive towards people that were critical of my ministry or my approaches or my ideas When really, looking back, I understand that they were just so invested in their kids staying in the church and being spiritually healthy that what I should have been looking for was I should have been looking for the nugget of truth behind the criticism or the point of pain behind the complaint. I should have been doing what Judah asked me to do a couple of years ago I should have been looking at where the problem is as opposed to interpreting their approach as an attack. I should have been coming alongside them and and as my friend Ryan Franklin says, practicing really good empathy and and trying to dig dig underneath the complaint of that parent and figure out what what was their heart saying in that moment? What were they concerned about? Often when a parent complains about an event, it's not that they don't like you. It's that they don't want their kids to be bored with church or they're worried that their friends at school are going to take them in the wrong direction or that there are too many negative influences that are at work in their life. And so the nugget of truth behind their we don't think you're meeting enough, or we don't think your events are any fun is really care and concern for their kids and their spiritual position in the church, and in their, their spiritual position in their relationship with God. And by being attuned to that need, coming alongside and practicing empathy and saying you want to know what it seems like, you're unhappy with the frequency or the type of events, could, could you maybe tell me a little bit more about that? This seems to be quite a concern for you, and I'm so glad that you brought this to my attention. Let's work on this together. What is it that you're looking for? And by asking those clarifying questions, by looking where the problem is, as my eight-year-old son said, you will come alongside that mom and dad and you will demonstrate to them attentiveness to their needs and attunement to their heart. And it can be the same with students. It can be the same with students. You will never truly become someone's youth pastor until you walk beside them through their first major teenage crisis. This is, <laughs> this is so true. This is this is something that I have found to be so real and so powerful. There were people that were on the outs of our not outs of our youth group, but we, we were close, but, but we were not as close as we could be. And then a crisis hit their family, a grandparent passed away, uh, a mom or dad got laid off, or there was tension in some you know big relationship in their life, and we were right there for them. That's when our voice began to thunder in their life. It was attunement to their emotions, and it was attentiveness to their needs that caused them to look at us. It wasn't. It wasn't the greatness of our production value, though I love all that stuff. It wasn't our slick social media game, though that is so important if you're going to reach young adults and Gen Zers uh, in today's world. It's. I'm not. I'm not negating the power of all of those things. I'm saying sometimes it can be so easy to get lost in the rhythm of the stuff we're doing in student ministry and young adult ministry that we forget that the most powerful thing we can do is shepherd people through the various issues and problems that crop up in their life. You know, if you've got a young adult that you're trying to connect with or connect to and it seems like you're not breaking through, Start digging around in your conversations with them and try to find a way that you can help them. Try to find a way that you can be a voice in their life. Find a way that you can solve a problem alongside them in whatever transitory place they're at in their life, whether they're transitioning out of their home, into living on their own or coming out of high school into post secondary or at a post secondary into the workforce or, you know, all those things, getting their first apartment, buying their first car, trying to manage their credit card balance on their own. When you step in and you come alongside of people and you help them solve a problem or you walk through a dark day, your voice, will forever become magnified in their life. So here are some categories. I thought of, of things that if if there's no crisis right now, if you don't have students that are currently experiencing sickness, illness, death, divorce, you know, those kind of big... Big relationship changes and big life things that can happen. If you currently don't have anybody graduating high school or going into post secondary or entering the workforce or getting into a major relationship at the moment, here are a few things. Here are a few things that you can do. You can approach your pastor and say, Pastor, I know I'm in charge of the student ministry and youth ministry. We've got a lot of things going on. But when you consider the students that are a part of our church, what are some of the greatest needs that you see in their life, and how can me and my team, if you have one, come alongside and meet those needs? If you've got a bunch of parents of teenagers, and let's say if you were like me, I mean, I've I've got a son who's technically now in preteen years, but when I was youth pastor, my son was a baby. He was a toddler, and he wasn't... Uh, he wasn't old enough for me to be considered the parent of a teenager. And so as a result, I was vastly under-experienced. I had my connection to youth culture and my handle on the Word of God that, that gave me that relational and positional influence with families in the church. So when I did not have the life experience to give advice to parents not you know I could speak to them about the internet and social media because I'm connected to that youth culture and, and parents considered me an authority on that because I was closer to their kids' age yet still a minister. But when it came to the parenting aspect of things, I understood at the very beginning that, that I, I didn't have a leg to stand on, as my dad would say. I, I did not have any sort of life experience where I could go to them and speak to mom and dads from a place of authority and say, this is what you need to be doing. But what I would do is I would resource from people they would respect, I would connect with other church leaders. I would connect with uh, Christian counselors and parenting experts, and I would make resources available to moms and dads. I would say this is, this is what this person says about managing the Internet. This is, this is how this expert says you can follow up on your kids' Internet history or what they're doing with social media online. I would connect them to people because of life experience, training, and just you know, plain old age, they were closer to mom and dad's age than I was at the moment, that they would respect their authority. And as a result, I found my voice carrying more weight by being a resource to moms and dads. And so when it came time for me to preach to families, and even though I did not have and still do not have a 15- or 16-year-old son or daughter, I could get up and I could talk about the priority of the house of God, and I could talk about this biblical value or that biblical value in the family. And because I had demonstrated, number one, my usefulness to the parents and connecting them to resources that will help them in their most important relationships in life, the relationship with their kids, because I had done that, And because of my willingness to do that, I had shown that I wanted to grow as a student pastor, that I was willing to push myself beyond the limitations of my life experience and glean from others that had gone before me, I gained greater authority. And it's the same with students. Things like, I've helped kids with their homework. And when I wasn't able to help them with their homework, I would connect them maybe with somebody who could. I would be a resource to parents when they would, you know, want to talk about their child attending post-secondary school, whether they wanted to attend university or a community college. Coming alongside and finding just anything I could get my hands on and be involved in so that I could help solve the problem in their life. Remember, you've also got your team too. And if you're new in this youth pastor thing or you've got a newly formed team, one of the ways that you will really gain influence with your team is not just by leading your team well, but by being attentive to the lives of your individual team members. Because people bring their whole selves to work. They bring their whole selves to ministry. And as much as we like to have switches that we toggle on and toggle off and, you know, say, I'm going to leave my problems in the car, I'm going to leave my, my stress at home, and then I'm going to come to church and I'm going to serve, unless you've got something really wrong with your brain, uh, people are not that good at compartmentalization. So we bring our worries about our kids, our worries about our family, the stress we have uh, in our marriages and our struggle with inflation, or our struggle if, if we're single to, to, to find somebody or to find a spouse, or, you know, if we're newly married, paying the bills, credit card pressure, all of those we bring all of that to the table when we serve. And the greatest leaders the leaders that build the closest-knit teams, the leaders that build fanatical loyalty are the individuals that don't just set goals, have grandiose vision, great marketing, but it's the leaders that can come alongside their team and put their arm around them and help them with something in their life that has nothing to do with work or church or youth ministry but it's something that's important to them. When you you demonstrate care for those that you lead and you show them, I care for you, those are people that will walk through the fire and back to to, to help you in a leadership crisis. Because I want to let you know, if if you do leadership long enough, you're going to have, you're gonna have a crisis on your hands. Something's gonna happen, like it's it's bound to. Some there's I I we can't go through all of the the potential scenarios because they're limitless. I I've been doing this. Oh, I've been without trying to beat my own drum. I'm I'm a pastor's son. I grew up in a church planter's home. I've been involved in in ministry in some way since the age of nine, and I'm gonna be 39 in a couple of weeks. Actually, I'm gonna be 39 as of this recording seven days from now, and there's all kinds of things that can happen. There are going to be people that will try to stand against the church. There'll be people that will try to be disloyal to the pastor. There'll be people that will become unhappy with you and wish for you to be replaced. There'll, there'll be your own personal crises that you will walk through, and there will be things that will happen in the lives of your students that will be devastating and awful. I don't say this to be a a doom speaker. I don't want to be doom and gloom, but this is just the reality. There will be divorces. There will be failures. There will be heartbreak. There will be poor decisions. And in those moments of high stress, when your own personal life maybe hits a wall, and you get sick or a spouse gets sick. That's what happened to, that's what happened in our family. My, my wife got cancer. That was awful. But I want to let you know that, that our team walked with us. They were so loyal. They nurtured us and helped us. There were ministry friends that reached out. I will never forget the people that came over to the house and dropped off flowers. That reached out and said they cared. That offered to help in any way that they could. That would send cards and flowers to my wife. These were people looking back, just talking through this idea here. These were people that my wife and I had also walked through valleys with them first. And when I didn't have enough strength to kind of like move forward, they stepped in and they filled in the gap for me. Now, we don't serve others so that they can serve us. We are to be selfless. And not everyone will reciprocate your assistance in this way, but that's okay. We don't just give in order to get back. But I will say that as a leader, if you can be there for your team, their actual real lives, not just what they do for you, you will build a bond and a loyalty with them that will last forever. And when things fall apart, or your ministry hits the wall, or your life hits the wall, or there's a crisis in the youth group, it will be those people that will absolutely have your back. So that's our leadership lesson for today. And I want to say, I don't know if you'll ever listen to this, but I want to say thank you, Judah. You taught me something very powerful, and I've, I've had, I'm holding it in my hand right now. It's not a video podcast, but you, you could see it uh, if, if this was a show. I got a four by six menu card in my hands where a few years ago I wrote down, you're not looking where the problem is. Leaders, look where the problem is. Make sure your people know that you hear them, that you are attuned to their emotions and that you are ready to walk alongside them, be it your pastor, your students, the parents, or your team. And I promise you, I promise you, this will make a profound impact. God bless. We'll see you soon.